Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Serie A fan. It's been four years coming, but Milan finally have their derby win. Zlatan steals the headlines with a first-half brace, and things are heating up in the title race as leaders Atlanta get smashed by Inform Napoli, Juve drop points at Crotone, and Sassuolo move up to second. All that plus keeping up the Italians in this episode of Scudetto. Hello and welcome to Scudetto. We've just completed match week four and following a weekend of high drama and 41 goals, we have the very early signs of a title race. We'll kick off in just a minute with the Milan derby and take you through all of the other action as well. But first, a good evening to my panel. Uh, Kenny, how is life in Tier 3 lockdown? Yeah, it's good. Is that what I'm in? Tier 3 lockdown? I think so. I tried to Google it. It's, it's confusing for Scotland. But... Yeah, I mean, we're basically all, all the all the pubs and restaurants are uh, pretty much shut where I am, um, but the schools are still open. So still a bit of free time during the day to to get some work done with my daughter being minded by someone other than me. Good stuff. Uh, have you at least managed to get your hands on a, a nice beer for this evening? A nice beer, yes. A Scottish beer, no. I've gone a little bit rogue uh, today. I've picked up uh, Yeasty Boys, which is not only not from Scotland, but not from this hemisphere. It's, it's from New Zealand, actually. But uh, it, it's a cool can, and it's uh, an Earl Grey IPA, which sounded interesting to me. And it is actually quite interesting. It's quite nice. It, it, it advertises itself as being boldly floral, much like your granny's bedroom. And I got to say, I am picking up on those those floral uh, floral flavors. It's nice. It's uh, yeah, it's good. I thought you were going to say that you're picking up on the granny's bedroom bit. <laughs> <laughs> no picking up in anybody's granny's bedroom. Fantastic. And Buzz, you had your laptop in the freezer when I messaged you earlier this evening. I was having a few technical issues this morning. <laughs> Did you uh, put a beer in the freezer as well? What have you got? I was having uh, technical issues with the beer as well. So I ended up, uh, my, we're in kind of a lockdown, but we're not. It's not clear. Um, no one knows what's going on. But uh, I, I went to my local shop and they're not very well stocked at the best of times. And right now all they have is a Gold Star, which is the pretty most standard lager you can get in Israel. Nice. Um, yeah, I've got a pretty standard one as well. It's, it's a nice uh, mustard-colored can. It's called an Ericois Pale Ale. It's, it's uh, a pretty standard pale ale, but it's Finnish, so done better than Kenny on that front. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, Inter 1, Milan 2, what must have been quite a strange derby with just a 1,000 fans. I, I think they were all Inter fans. We saw them. some of them go towards the Inter end. I hope they were Inter fans. <laughs> so uh yeah exactly every week we try and talk a bit less about Zlatan Ibrahimovic and every week he forces his way into our agenda um two goals an excellent post-game tweet uh what else can we say about him this week Baz? 
Uh, the man is fantastic. The way he leads the team besides the goal is incredible. And uh, well, I think uh, his work on the field speaks for itself. He's the oldest player to ever score in a derby. And so obviously he's also the oldest player to score a brace in a derby, which uh, I think will be hard to beat in years to come. Do we think, obviously, I'm not arguing the fact that uh, Zlatan is an absolute phenomenon. We've spoken about him before on the podcast. But do we think maybe into a little bit unlucky not to get a draw out of this game. What do you think on the balance of play? So I'm going to try and sound as impartial as possible. Um, I do think that, especially in the second half, Inter came out strong and probably had enough chances to equalize the game, particularly one that fell to Lukaku towards the end of the game, as well as a Hakimi header that went wide that usually you'd expect him to score. I also think that Inter were... Their whole preparation for this game was problematic. As we know, they had six COVID cases and uh, Bastoni, even though he recovered, didn't make it in time for the squad. And still, um, Inter have a very significant uh, midfield. They have some amazing reserves. You could see them, the players they, were, they managed to throw on in the second half. So uh, I'm not sure that uh, this is the sole reason for their loss. But of course, a defense made of uh, Kolarov and uh, especially, well, a defense with Kolarov and center back is always going to be a bit problematic. Yeah, he got absolutely suckered by Zlatan for the first penalty, didn't he? And we have to talk about the other penalties and not penalties in this game. Uh, Zlatan actually had, had his first penalty saved, obviously, managed to score off the rebound. Um, and at 2 1, there was what I thought was a strong penalty shout for Lukaku. In the it was first given and then on VAR review overturned because of an offside in the build-up. Supposedly, the rule is that uh, Kiara's touch is uh, unintentional and therefore the last touch, the last active touch, was from Eriksson, who plays Lukaku in, who is offside at the time. Kiara does take another touch afterwards, but again, apparently by the law of the book that second touch is also considered part of the first touch or something like that. I'm, I haven't really read the rules, but as far as I understand, Lukaku's initial position is what puts him offside. I have to say that for me, it was being a very soft penalty anyway. He does drag his foot, but we've seen those given. Yeah, what did you think, Kenny? I, I thought it was a penalty, personally. I, I had it explained to me by the two of you, but... Um... For me, Kier intentionally plays the ball. Okay, he doesn't mean to pass it to Lukaku, but that's sort of beside the point. And the goalkeeper makes contact after the ball goes past him. You see him given every week. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the, the penalty itself, uh, I, I I kind of see where Boaz is coming from. But, uh, Lukaku definitely plays for it. But I think Donnarumma takes him out. I mean, he, he leaves his leg there and Donnarumma may have held his, his hands back. But he still does uh, quite clearly make contact with him and bring him down. I think it would have been a penalty for for me had it not um, had it not been for the offside decision. It's I, you just remind me of an anecdote. It's quite funny because um, I was texting with one of my Milan supporting friends, and clearly his stream was a lot behind mine. And so he started texting me, "Oh my god, this comp- this goalkeeper is such an idiot! I can't believe he gave away this penalty so late. What's he doing? What's he doing?" And I'm just like, "Are you sure, mate? What's going on? It's going to be all right." And he didn't know what I meant until like a few minutes later. So that was my spoiler alert for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming coming back to the 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 offside, 
I don't really. It all happens so quickly. Um, I don't really think Kiara necessarily does try to to play the ball. It's kind of it's kind of a ricochet, really. But uh, I think one of the points that Boaz and uh, that we were discussing with Boaz in the in the run up to the podcast um, was that if an attacking player uh, makes makes a deflection that you know has an impact on the trajectory of the ball, whether or not it's intentional then that does count. And the ball definitely came off of Ericsson's shin. And for me, Kjær doesn't really have the time to react. I, I can't really see that being intentional, his contact with the ball. So I can see why it was offside, but it's really, it is really debatable and there will be people who, who disagree with me and that's perfectly fair enough. Um, I think it's interesting that we're discussing a VAR decision because uh, I felt overall, and first of all, I think, I, we haven't really discussed this, so I'm kind of putting you guys on the spot. But I think at no point we'll, we won't give a dishonorable mention to a referee at any point because it's a tough job. However, having said that, um, the refereeing was uh, very inconsistent throughout the game and there was a lot of uh, very hard fouls from both sides. In fact, Milan fans and Inter fans are they're having a fight who can post the, the best videos showing the other team cheating, so to, so to speak. And it, we have to say that there was a occasion where um, Kessie, who was already booked, stepped on uh, Hakimi's yeah. ankle. And yeah. uh, it's funny because Milan went on to attack that uh, the ball, and uh, I think Leao almost scored. And by the rule of the book, this is one of the, these funny ones. Had Leao scored, then the ref would have gone to VAR to check the original f- tackle and probably sent Kessie off because Leao didn't score. There was no recall to go back to VAR. So it's one of these situations where um, maybe Milan were more lucky than skillful. No, I I just was going to say um, before we moved on um, that it was a a good weekend for Milan all round, actually, because uh, in the other derby between uh, Milan Feminile and their uh, counterparts, uh, Inter, uh, Milan won that one 4-1 to go three points off the top of Serie A Feminile. So... Uh, red and black Milan this this weekend. And the final point about Milan before we move on is that uh, currently Milan have the best defense in Europe, having conceded just one goal. And they're top of the league alone for the first time since 2011. And uh, it's just them and Aston Villa with, with full points thus far. And we both know these are clubs with big pedigrees. Yeah, and their best start for 25 years or so, I believe. Exactly. Great. Well, um, we'll look forward to hearing more about Milan on this podcast next week, I'm sure. Um, but from the team at the top, we go to the team who were at the top. Uh, so league leaders Atalanta went to Napoli on Saturday afternoon, conceded four first half goals, eventually losing 4-1. Kenny, we've been overhyping Atalanta on this podcast for the last four weeks. <laughs> is, is that the case or are Napoli just really that good? No, I don't think we have been overhyping Atalanta. I think anybody who's been watching Atalanta will, will share share the views. Uh, but um, this was something that Atalanta have in them. That they have these brain farts. Um, they had one last season against Spal, uh, and they got they, it happens to them. Um, it's also partly a result of of the approach that they adopt. Um, they kind of they're kind of attack at, at all costs and normally that that pays off sometimes it backfires spectacularly and um, the second half of your question napoli are they really good yes absolutely because that's the 
it would be wrong to speak about this result being because Atalanta, dreadful as they were defensively, were bad. Uh, Napoli equally were absolutely sensational. Um, in particular, uh, Lozano, Osimen, and Politano just creating all sorts of problem for for Atalanta's back three. There is a slight caveat to this to this uh, game and this result. Uh, which is that Napoli did have um, the best part of two weeks, essentially in a, a training camp with uh, all of their full team available. Obviously, because of the fallout from the uh, COVID nineteen tests, uh, whereas Atalanta had uh, well, half half the squad flying back from all corners of Europe, and many of them flying back from South America before this. So it's maybe a bit harsh to focus on how badly Atalanta played, but undoubtedly Napoli were great. Yeah, not all doom and gloom. A bit of a, a ray of hope in that uh, Lammers looked very good, scored a good goal. Yeah, Lammers, Lammers is uh, looking very good. That's the second time that he's had any sort of notable time uh, really off the off the bench. And uh, he scored in both occasions, but it's not really about that. Um it's just about how good he looks. He he does remind me, and this this might be a bit of a lazy comparison, but he does remind me a little bit of uh, Van Basten in style. He's uh, obviously not not reached those heights yet, but he's um, you know he's tall, elegant, incredible first touch, really really intelligent movement off the ball, and absolutely deadly in front of goal. So Atalanta definitely looked like they've they've got a good one there. But talking about getting good ones, uh, Napoli have also, um, it was also a debut for Bakayoko and he was an absolute rock. Um, thought he had, a, he had a great game. So yeah, their their squad is looking great. Possibly, I, I don't know, yeah, see what you guys think about this, but possibly the most complete uh, of the sort of starting starting 11s in, in Serie A. I mean, you just don't really look at any part of that Napoli team and think that's an obvious weakness. That's true. I mean, since we spoke about them a couple of weeks ago, having uh, too many strikers, they have obviously balanced the squad out, bringing back Yoko. And, um, so yeah, probably probably a good shout. Sorry, Baz, I interrupted you there. I seem to remember Napoli fans complaining about not having a, a left back or a reserve for a left back. I think the way the season has gone so far, except for the unfortunate episode with the game in Turin, Nap- Napoli's team, as Kenny said, looked pretty formidable. Okay, so on to the last game in this segment. So featuring second place Sassuolo, who twice came from behind to beat Bologna away by four goals to three. And uh, it's always tempting to say something like, uh, you know, if they could get their defence sorted, they'd be true title contenders. I saw, similar to what you were just saying, actually, Kenny, I saw football journalist Connor Clancy tweeting about this saying he hates it when people make comments about Sassuolo, saying they're good at attacking, they just need to sort out their defence. If they didn't defend like that, they wouldn't be able to see what they do in attack, and their imperfections make them what they are. Um, and I, she didn't watch this game live, so I had this, these thoughts in, in mind when I was watching the game. And I thought it was just brilliantly illustrated by their first goal. So their centre-back, they're sort of in safe possession. Vlad Kirikes has the ball, sprints out of defence with it, uh, drawing on the, the two central defenders, just he, he shaped to shoot from about thirty yards. They come <laughs> diving out towards him, sprays it out wide towards Berardi, and then instead of falling back, he just sprints into the box. <laughs> As it happens, That's Berardi just smashes one in anyway. 
Um, so it's, it's sort of uh, irrelevant. But the point being, if he's charging into the box, he is not tracking back. <laughs> so yeah. sort of case in, case in point, what you were saying and what Connor Clancy tweeted, that might be all we have time for on that game, unless anyone has anything they're burning to say. Um, yeah, well, I mean, just what what job the Zerbi's doing. Um, a lot of the plaudits have focused on perhaps, uh, yeah, Atalanta. Um, and I think I saw that tweet from uh, Forza Italian Football's Connor Clancy. Um, hat tip to him and uh, their their excellent podcast. But yeah, yeah, I I think uh, absolutely on on the money there. Uh, they're just great fun to watch. Um, and. Bologna, we, we won't say too much about their on-field performance, but we did want to give a dishonorable mention to their social media team, didn't we, Baz? I mean, um, when they initially signed Aaron Hickey, their uh, whole uh, we are Scottish, we lad, the, the, that whole shtick was kind of funny. <laughs> but it's been like three or four weeks now, and they had the, the their team sheet announced that they had we Aaron in the team. And come on, guys, there's other players on the pitch, and I, I, I'm kind of over it. To be honest, <laughs> I did. Uh, there was a fantastic tweet that came out after all of that started coming out of Bologna's social media team. Um, a Scottish football fan tweeted, "It's kind of akin to a Scottish team signing an Italian player and sending him out for all the press shots with uh, eating pizza and uh, and the Bingo, like." No, exactly. It's like <laughs> get over it. But yeah, I, I don't mind it. I'd like to see him get his time in the limelight. It's going to get very, very old very quickly. And another game we're not going to get time to speak about, actually, Kenny. Um, but uh, you wanted to give a, an honourable mention to uh, Sampdoria's Damsgaard. Yeah, just for that that final goal in Sampdoria's 3-0 win against Lazio. I mean, arguably the honourable mention should be for Sampdoria with a dishonourable attached for Lazio, who still look like they're still in lockdown. But I just loved that goal from Damsgaard to kill the game off. Um it's a bit of a mess the build up to to the to the goal Lazio failed to clear it but the ball comes to him with two two defenders closing him down and just he knows exactly what he's doing before he gets to the ball he gets there just before the two defenders just dinks it over the top of them and then on a half volley as he's being closed down by another defender um and uh, the keeper he he side foots it into the net. I think when we were watching it at first, we were kind of saying it looks like he slightly mishits it, but then you see it from another angle from the side and it's actually just a really clean side foot in off the bar, bounces back out into the penalty area for added effect. Uh, it was a lot, of, a lot of fun, that goal. I liked it. Yeah, I absolutely recommend uh, watching that one from all angles. Um, and Buzz, you've got a dishonorable mention for the Argentina manager. Former Atalanta player Lionel Scaloni is currently the Argentina manager. Kenny was mentioning earlier how the Atalanta players had to fly in from all over the world. Well, Scaloni flew Papo Gomez all the way out to play Bolivia and play Ecuador and didn't play him for a single minute. And that's a dishonorable mention for me. Yeah, I fully endorse that. <laughs> and one more dishonorable mention. Oh, sorry, no, it's an honorable mention for Florenzi. Former Serie A stalwart Florenzi has scored his second goal for PSG and he's been playing really well for them. Um, but more to the point, he, we really loved his impassioned defense of uh, Chilo Immobile during the international break. He came out and said that anyone criticizing Immobile is mad. And essentially him being a former Roma player, defending a Lazio player, I, I like that. And we actually do have one more for Ilicic, can we? This should have gone into the Atalanta-Napoli uh, discussion, but uh, I'm cramming it in here. 
um, because it's yeah, just absolutely fantastic to to see him come back. He didn't have the he didn't have the best game if we're honest against Napoli. He looked off the pace. Things weren't quite coming up off for him, and probably take him a few games to get back anywhere close to where he was before. But just really really good to see him back. Glad to see Gasperini give him the time and look forward to him sort of playing himself back into form. Completely, absolutely. Thank you. Um, we'll be back just after the break to round up a few more games and everybody's favorite favorite segment, Keeping Up With The Italians. We'll be back after this. Hello, Serie A fan. Make Scudetto a part of your weekly football fix. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite listening platform and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ScudettoPod. We'd love to have you on the squad. Welcome back to part two of Scudetto. Uh, we're going to be starting with Juventus, who were held to a draw at Crotone. Before we get into that game, let's just discuss Juventus's off-pitch antics. It feels like quite a long time ago uh, that we were all laughing at Agnelli, uh, telling the world that Juve always follow the rules uh, after they took that default win against Napoli. Um, so several of their players broke the regulations, according to the Italian sport minister, to go away on international duty. Uh, Ronaldo and McKenney were among players to then be ruled out for this get their next game after testing positive for COVID-19. Uh, what did Daniele have to say about this, Kenny? Yeah, I think Agnelli, after uh, Spadafora, the Italian uh, minister for, for sport, uh, said it appears that these players uh, might have very clearly broken the protocol. Uh, Agnelli was straight straight to the media saying, uh, everybody everybody hates us, everybody wants us to lose, everybody's looking for an excuse to uh, gang up on us. So a long time since those comments of uh, always playing by the rules. And last week we had a dig at Comiso for sounding like a jilted ex-boyfriend. And uh, it has to be said that Agnelli is sounding like a petulant teenager this week nobody <laughs> likes us yeah yes so actual game uh, a little bit of a dull and valuable point tone obviously uh key turning point seemed to be chiesa sending off uh on his debut for his challenge on uh shigarini uh what did we think of that one bit of a harsh decision maybe kenny I thought that it was it was harsh. I know that a lot of uh, a lot of the Italian media and uh, people that I, I follow on Twitter seem to to agree with me. Uh, to me, it doesn't look like there's anything dangerous in what Chiesa does. He goes in, he's not going in studs showing or anything. Doesn't even really look like there's much uh, much contact. It's he's leading sort of side footedly, but yeah, I, it also has to be pointed out that he had had. Um, he, he it was mixed game all round for him really because he he set up Juve's equalizer quite uh, quite excellently with a a great cross that Morata tucked away. So uh, I mean turning point I'm not sure because it was already one one at the time, uh, but certainly that was that that's probably the the biggest the biggest top talking point from that game. Yeah, and I saw afterwards uh, Pirlo called him naive. Um, so obviously he thought he was at fault. What did you think, Baz? Well, first of all, Keza is the first player to get sent off on his Juventus debut since the three points were introduced. I think that uh, the apparently by the law of the book, that was a sending off, something to do with the fact that his leg was straight from the knee down. I thought it was a little bit harsh, 
but perhaps when the ref saw it at uh, full pace, it seemed harder than it was. Of course, he could have gone to VAR. I think a bigger talking point perhaps is Pirlo's team selection. There were six new players from this season in the pitch, including two youngsters, uh, Artur and uh, also Keza, as we mentioned. And perhaps um, these kind of huge overhauls are going to come back and bite you. And you mentioned uh, Pirlo's press conference after the game. It's where I think his quotes were very interesting when he said that when you're a Juventus manager, you, it is uh, mandatory that you win these games. I think that says a lot about his mentality as a coach and also what is expected at Juventus, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I think he was also at pains to point out that it is a, a young team and young players are going to make mistakes. But I think Pirlo said that, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a very challenging season, but we have to kind of rise above that and we've got to find a way. Also, again, I don't want to be making excuses excuses for Juve because with the resources they have, they should be winning that game regardless of, of who's missing. But I think it was quite obvious that McKenney and, uh, well, obviously Cristiano Ronaldo were big, big misses for them. But uh, yeah, you still you still expect them to to come out on top against a, a team that prior to this game was bottom of the of the league. If you really want to have pretenses to reach that ten in a row, then you, these are games you got to win. We should mention um, Crotone a little bit, particularly their frontman Simi, who scored the penalty. First of all, um, I must say I really enjoyed his slow motion run up for the penalty. Um, I'm sure <laughs> that's quite infuriating if you're a goalkeeper. But more to the point, he was the top goal scorer of Serie B last season, and uh, he's the first African player to top the goal scoring charts in any league in Italy. Last time out, when Crotone were in Serie A, he also scored the goal against Juventus, so he's got priors here. Sure, and fair play to Murata as well. I mean, uh, came in, scored a goal. He scored another goal that was disallowed as well. Yeah. So, um... yeah, I, that, that would probably be the other point to to make on this game. The bad as Juve were, they were millimeters away. They were basically a heel away uh, from from winning this game with that Morata goal that was disallowed for. I mean, it was rightly disallowed for for offside, but there was millimeters in it. I think it would have been harsh on Crotone though. Um, Cigarini also had a, a big chance to win it for them, uh, and certainly this wasn't a, a case of Crotone kind of just clinging on and getting away with a lucky point uh, i think a 1-1 is probably a fair result in this game totally well next up uh, roma 5 benevento 2 but as you've got your wish jack and back on target clearly he's a listener um, <laughs> clearly he's a listener exactly <laughs> i actually thought roma were really good in this game and, and benevento were kind of lucky to get the two goals that they did get i don't know if I, i'm being overly biased here but i mean it was an insane deflection for the first goal second one was a pretty harsh i mean it was a penalty but it was a bit unlucky roma had another goal rolled out for offside just really poor defending outclassed all over the pitch i thought any uh dissenting voices on that no dissenting voices i felt i thought uh, roma struggled to find a goal in the previous matches so this felt like a lot of pent-up frustration being unleashed on benevento who already conceded five against uh, inter this season so uh, perhaps not the strongest defense in the league, but still um, some of um, the passing and the interplay between Roma's players was delightful, particularly on Zeko's goal. Uh, lovely stuff from Mkhitaryan to set him up. 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't disagree at all with any of that. I don't think uh, I don't think anyone really who, who saw any of this game could could argue that Roma deserved any less than the the three points. I did think that possibly the the penalty for me might have been a little bit debatable that uh, that Pedro won. I mean, similar similar situation to the Donnarumma one, I guess. But for me, the keeper gets a touch on that before the contact's made. It's not something that anyone else uh, I've, I've noticed has made anything of, so perhaps I'm, I'm completely alone on this one. But it looks to me like he gets a touch, so that normally is enough for the keeper to get away with it. But um, yeah, fully deserved three points, though, for, for Roma, absolutely. When I was watching it live, I also thought that it, um, the keeper might have got a touch, but uh, maybe because of the the final result, less noise is being made about it. Yeah, I'll have to watch it again. But um, either way, a good result and uh, some much-needed confidence going into what's going to be an extremely difficult game next Monday. They've got uh, Milan in the late kickoff. Okay, enough about that. Uh, Fiorentina chucked away a two-goal lead to draw 2-2 with Spezia. Possibly Iacchini could come under a bit of pressure after this result, can he? Yeah, I've, well, I've, <laughs> I don't know. I'm really torn on this because I think Yekini's, anytime I've seen his press conferences, he seems like a nice guy. I don't want to be, you know, calling for, for him to, to be sacked or anything. I did say at the time when his contract was extended at the end of last season, I think the Fiorentina's run of form kind of saved his, his job a bit there. And I think a lot of people were surprised by that, as I've mentioned on previous Pods. I also have said in, in previous uh, episodes that I think for him to have that job long term or certainly until the end of this season, they need to start well. They can't be starting like they did last season and that's not happened. Uh, I w- really wouldn't I really wouldn't be surprised to see him to see him go. And to be honest, with the squad that they've got, you kind of have to say it's fair enough. I mean, you look at that midfield, who have they got in there? They've got Bonaventura, they've got Pulgar, they've got Castrovilli, they've brought in Amrabat, who was one of the the best midfielders in Serie A last season. Um, I'm missing, I'm missing a couple here. Frank Ribery. Frank Ribery. I mean, that squad is the midfield alone is, is good. They've got Biragi on the left. Uh, they've just brought in Callejon. I really, they shouldn't. That team should should not be. Uh, they should be performing better than they are really. They've had plenty of time, a lot of them, to adjust to Yakini's to Yakini's style. I I would be surprised if he lasts much longer. And I know there are uh, rumors beginning to circulate about uh, about Sarri, uh, whether he's within their budget or not. We're not sure yet. Um, certainly, if he's on the same sort of salary as he was he was on at Juve, that would be a no. But uh, he's obviously got ties to the area, so it might be a, a nice club for him to rebuild his reputation after winning the league with Juventus because, you know, you obviously need to rebuild your reputation after you do something like that. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. Um, a valuable point for Spezia, though, and a fair play to them for, for coming back. And missing their target man, Galabinov. Yeah, from 2-0 down as well. I mean, you could quite easily have seen them just chucking the towel. They risked scoring a third one as well. So, Very uh, nearly scored a third, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Fiorentina actually arguably lucky to get away with a point from this game in the end not not good not good for them at all i think kenny's being too kind to yakini here i understand he's a nice bloke but uh 
it's not a popularity contest and so far i've happened to watch a lot of fiorentina this season because they've played some big teams and uh, they've been spectacularly unambitious throughout yeah true okay and uh, on that note i think it's time to move on to uh, honorable mentions uh, we've got first up the Palmer health authority bars for keeping the league going a few weeks ago, I said that, that um, the local health authority in Napoli stopping Naples from the local health authority in Naples stopping Napoli from traveling put a big question mark on the whole league because it meant that a, a local authority could control what was happening on a national level. This weekend, Parma, who had six uh, COVID cases, contacted their local authority, and the local authority said that um, the protocol takes uh, precedence over. Any other any local uh, policy? I think that's a big win for the league, and congrats to Parma for traveling despite having six absentees. And on that man- note, I didn't mention it in the first half, but it's worth noting that uh, Antonio Conte deserves an honorable mention simply for not moaning. He in the post-match interview, it would have been a great occasion to say, "Hey, I was missing a few key players here," and he didn't. Uh, he never mentioned it so chapeau to him i mean the fact that he needs an honorable mention for not moaning tells you everything you need to <laughs> it's, a new Conte. it's a new content he's, he's a he's a happy-go-lucky guy now Kenny, uh, you've got a mention for us well I, I mean i just wanted to come back on what boy said i'm not sure whether that's an honorable or a dishonorable mention it's great to have the football it's great to keep the football going but i'm not sure how i feel about players uh, about teams traveling when they've they're, they're not really sure how many positive cases there are that are yet to taste to test uh, positive so uh, withhold judgment but definitely definitely uh, worthy of a mention as i said footballers are the most tested uh, profession in italy right now and um, for the league to continue they need to continue playing as we've seen milan get on with it we've seen even genoa who are missing a full squad get on with it even Juve played without Ronaldo. So I think uh, this is the new world we live in. Sure, absolutely. But at the same time, uh, the <laughs> timing comes into this as well. And as I've mentioned in the previous pods, the, the, there is a period of time that we all know where someone can be infected and test negative when they are actually positive. And, you know, when when these things happen, so soon before a game, uh, surely no one can have any idea how many players are in that boat. How many players were eventually ill from COVID from the Napoli team? How many players were eventually ill from COVID in the Genoa team? Who, who, who then played Napoli and how many people caught it? Well, people caught it and I think that's the point. We Two don't people. know for a Did fact they that it came from, from that game. But... Did they catch it from the barber? Did they catch it because their kids went to school? Life goes on, and if they went, if we want to play COVID, if we want to play football during the COVID era, then we continue playing football. If you want to stop, then let's stop altogether and not play any football. This goes out to the people complaining about the international break as well. This is football. UEFA stopped last year, for especially for football. UEFA gave the Champions League a special... Uh, more restricted format so that people could get on with it. Now it's time to pay back. This For some of the smaller federations, these, this international break was crucial. So again, if we want to watch football, and I, I remind anyone who doesn't want to watch football how boring life was for those three months when there was no football. <laughs> I, for one, miss the days of kicking a toilet roll around my bedroom. <laughs> um, Kenny, uh, honorable mention for Belotti, and then we'll move on. 
Uh, yeah, honourable mention for Belotti getting his fourth goal in in three games and with uh, an absolute textbook bicycle kick, uh, almost almost scoring his hat trick. Uh, Torino look, uh, yeah, they, they look very bad, and uh, Gianpaolo is not doing much to rebuild the uh, reputation that he had gained at, at Sampdoria uh, and then subsequently lost at Milan so far at uh, at Torino. But uh, Belotti certainly is uh, still a bright spark for them. Totally, thank you. That is all part two. And we now do our special bonus segment, Keeping Up With The Italians, uh, where we round up all of the travelling fixtures for t- Italian teams playing in Europe. Uh, so Juventus going to Kiev, Boaz, tell us about. I think the most interesting fact about Kiev has got to be the fact that uh, one of the three most visited McDonald's in the world is in <laughs> Kiev right now. <laughs> 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 I mean, that's crucial information for anyone traveling there. Um, yeah. Also, if you're on that kind of vibe, the deepest metro station in the world is also around there. <laughs> and um, lastly, for people from Leeds, um, <laughs> the area of um, Kiev is one quarter of the size of Leeds. However, is sorry, one point five times the size of Leeds. However, there's four times as much. There's four times the amount of population. So that's what I have for Kiev for you. But the most important mm. takeaway for this game for me is that um, Luchesco will be squaring up against Pirlo in Pirlo's first ever Champions League game. Luchesco, of course, gave Pirlo his debut in 1995 for Brescia and also managed him at Inter. On a slightly lesser note, um, Demiral, who also plays for Juventus, uh, Luchesco gave him his Turkey debut. So, uh, so a lot of uh, friends reuniting in this part. Other than that, um, Kiev are not expected to do much in this tie. Uh, they have a couple of players who are very promising, the keeper Bushkan and the frontman Tiskanov, who also scored against Spain, I believe, in the midweek. But really, Juventus are expected to do the job. And the final fun stat is that every time Juventus have faced off against a Ukrainian opponent, they've gone on to, to reach the Champions League final. Good news for them. Uh, Atalanta also playing away. They're going to Denmark to play FC Mittelland. Our Nordic correspondent Sigmund from the Faroe Islands formerly lived in Denmark and he's going to tell us all about FC Mittelland. As the new kid on the block, born only 21 years ago, FC Mittelland is very bullish about wanting to be the leading club in Denmark. This undoubtedly rubs many people the wrong way because such proclamations are traditionally not well seen in Scandinavia. They aren't the biggest spenders in Danish football, but they are the best-run club and the most successful in recent years, with three league titles out of the last six seasons. Their performance in European matches have been disappointing, but this season they have finally reached the group stage. But with a tough draw, I think they will most likely finish bottom of their group. This game against Atalanta, I expect them to lose by one or two goals. Thank you, Sigmund. Uh, Roma are also on the road. They're going to Bern on Thursday to take on Young Boys. Likely to be the only competitive game that they play on an artificial pitch this season. Uh, It's caused visitors problems in the past. Napoli lost 2-0 there in the Europa League group stages in 2014 before winning the return fixture 3-0. And in 2018, the same thing happened to Juventus. Lost 2-1 away, 1-3-0 at home. Uh, Maybe Roma shouldn't expect too much from this game, but at least they could, like Einstein, take a walk, look at the clock and consider that all things are, of course, relative. 
And finally, Milan are going to Glasgow to take on Celtic, Kenny. Yeah, yeah, they're going to the west coast, the opposite side of the the country to me. Probably the the main thing to to start off with uh, on this is that uh, Celtic go into this game off the back of a 2-0 defeat in the old firm derby. Also, their loss to Ferenc Varos uh, in the Champions League qualifiers was their earliest exit from the tournament in 15 years. They'll be, according to Neil Lennon, their manager, they'll be without Odson Edouard, who's undoubtedly their star player for this game. Uh, though Ryan Christie, uh, who's another of their key players, could be back after having to self-isolate. Uh, he had been in close contact with Southampton's Stuart Armstrong, who had tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, Celtic Park, normally one of the most intimidating grounds in Europe, but Milan won't have to contend with that, obviously, because it's a closed-door game. Uh, fun facts about uh, Celtic is that they were the first UK team to win the European Cup. My fun fact about Glasgow is that the first international football game was played in Glasgow in 1872 between Scotland and England, ending in a nil-nil draw. Obviously, no Scottish team has ever won the European Cup since Celtic won it, and no Scotland team has ever held England to a draw since that game either. One of those facts is definitely false. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Kenny. You are now up to date with the Italians listener. Uh, That's all from us. We'll speak to you next week. Enjoy the football. Young boys, young boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.